before the goodness starts flowing, I want to welcome you to the STR Sisterhood, real life stories from real life women in the short-term rental industry. I'm your host, Stacey St. John, ex-corporate girl who discovered how to replace her six-figure salary through short-term rentals, and who now has the pleasure of helping others do the same. On this show, we talk to real women in the short-term rental space about their journeys and how they've managed to turn their STR dreams into reality. If you're an ambitious woman who's looking to build a successful short-term rental business, you are in the right place, sister. Hey, sisters. Okay, really quick before we jump into this episode, I have two very important things to share. The first one is we are doing a quick survey for the show and for our listeners so that we can learn about what you love about the podcast and how we can continue to bring the content that you love more often. So in the show notes below, we have a link that is going to direct you to a survey. Once you fill it out and hit submit, you are good to go. And thank you in advance for sharing your opinions. Now, number two, the doors to the 2023 Short-Term Rental Virtual Summit for Women are now open. If you don't have your ticket yet, I promise you, you want to go and grab it right away. This exciting event is happening January 24th through the 26th. And friends, whether you're just starting out in short-term rentals, whether you have a booming business that's operating like a well-oiled machine, or whether you're somewhere in between, the Short-Term Rental Virtual Summit for Women is going to help you take your business to the next level and rock it out in 2023. So head over to strvirtualsummit.com and grab your ticket now. All right, friends, let's go ahead and dive into this episode. Welcome to another episode of the STR Sisterhood. This is Stacey St. John, and as always, you know it, I am going to say thank you. I feel so incredibly grateful that I get to spend a few minutes with you today, so thank you for allowing me to do just that. Now, I read a quote earlier today, and it really spoke to me, and I felt compelled to share it with you in hopes that it speaks to you too. It was actually a quote shared by Serena Williams, and she said, the success of every woman should be the inspiration to another. We should raise each other up, make sure you're very courageous, be strong, be extremely kind, and above all, be humble. Thank you, Serena Williams, for that brilliance. Now, in today's episode, I sit down with Sabrina Guler, and we talk about operating at scale. Friends, this is a former Apple employee who has built a company that is managing over 70 short-term rental properties, and this lady knows firsthand how important it is to have the right systems in place, but more importantly, to have the right team members in place. 
So without further ado, I can't wait to dive into my conversation with Sabrina Guler. So we are here with Sabrina Guler today. Sabrina, I'm so excited to talk to you, but first, thank you so much for being with us. I am super excited to be on, so thank you. All right, so before we dive into my myriad of questions, tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're located. Yeah. So I am located in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm not from here originally, though. I'm actually from the East Coast. So I was born and raised in New Jersey. And I lived between Jersey and Manhattan up until I was like 22 and went to ASU. I went to Arizona State University. I got into tech. My background is in tech project management. So that was like my, that was my nine to five. That was my career for many years. And I was working for Apple for a couple of years up in Cupertino, California. And during COVID, it was a little dreary there. It was rainy. And I decided to come visit my parents in Arizona. They, they live here now. And at the time, I was like, you know what? I'm, their house didn't have space for me to constantly be there. And I was like, I think I'm going to buy a little condo or like a little single family. But at the time, I, I didn't know too much about Airbnb, actually. And I bought a little house to stay there. And I was like, you know what? As soon as as soon as we go back to the office, I'll go back. I'll, I'll give my condo back. I mean, I'll put it on Airbnb. I'll list it. And life will go on. And so I did my research that way. And that was essentially that was my entry into, into real estate investing. I have, I'm a passive investor on other deals. And I've done multifamily and other things. But that's kind of what got me into, into it. And I feel like Airbnb picks you. You don't pick it. Like there are so many stories where, you know, people get into this by accident and it works out for them. Absolutely. So I, let me just make sure I understand. You purchased a property in Scottsdale to go be near your parents? Yeah. And is that the property that you ended up putting on Airbnb or is it your property up in California? No, it's my uh, property here in Arizona. I have two. During COVID, I, I ended up getting two. Arizona was very cheap at the time, like the 2020 era when interest rates were low and everything was a bargain. Um, Remember those days? (laughs) What happened to those days? No, (laughs) that could be a different podcast episode for sure. Oh, that's great. So what I'm curious, you started a company called TechVestor and I'm going to say you co-founded it with with your partner, if I'm not mistaken. But what took you from buying your first property to building this company that allows people to passively invest in short-term rentals? So when working at Apple, Apple's such a big company and they had an internal like uh, Slack group, like a messaging group where people talked about investing in real estate. Whoever had that as a side gig, even if they were just talking about interest rates, loans, investments, um, syndications that people were involved in, uh, that's, that's, I was a member of that group. And I started kind of just like telling people about my journey on there. Like, Hey guys, bought this little condo. I'm burnishing it. It's on Airbnb. It's doing really well. I originally thought I was going to stay in that condo, but I fa- I had so much fun designing it and decorating it and doing my own thing and taking pictures. And I remember the first 24 hours that I put my property on Airbnb, it booked out like for six months, which at the time, now I know I'm like, okay, my pro- my pricing was probably too low. And, you know, I had no idea what I was doing, but I thought, I, I remember that feeling and I was like, oh, wow, this is like, that, that was awesome. You know, it was the first time I put a lot of money into something and, um, and to watch it do really well. 
so I, I, put, I, I was sharing that journey internally with people at work and people were like, well, can you do it for me? <laughs> because, you know, when you, when you work in, in, in tech up north, they, they usually, they have a restricted stock unit and you get, you get allocated money bonuses. And a lot of people didn't want to put it back into stock. People actually like putting it in real estate because it diversifies their portfolio, especially if you've worked for a company for 10 years, you're very Apple heavy at the time is what people say. So a lot of people started asking me to do this for them. And I, I've, I've actually, I had my, my real estate license in another life. Like when I was 20 and I lived in New York, I had my real estate. So I've always liked real estate. I've always found it interesting. I decided to get my real estate license here in Arizona just to learn more. It was honestly like, I did it not for the money. I did it just for passion. And I still hold my license. I don't represent anyone other than myself <laughs> and to creep on the MLS and have access to houses and, you know, do that whole thing. I, I love, I love looking at real estate. So I started helping people doing this and my business partner, he actually was doing the same thing at Facebook. So apparently this is a thing where there's like internal real estate groups at these larger companies. He was doing the same exact thing. And we knew each other like friend of a friend that, that world is very small and so one thing led to another and he saw what I was doing he, and I, I knew what he was doing. And he was like, well, why don't, well, why don't we try this out on a small scale? We can work together. We can like joint venture a couple of deals and see how it goes, buy a couple houses. And so we did that. We bought a three or four houses. We joint ventured with a couple of people that we worked with. And then the word kind of got out and people were like, well, I want to do it and I want to do it. And we were like, you know what? And at the time, like the interest rates were really low, but there was still like kind of some fear in the market. Like people weren't, I mean, especially anyone who owns Airbnb properties in 2020, they lost money. I mean, there was a period where it was lights out for a couple months. So people were still a little skeptical um, with the market and everything going on. And we were like, you know what? It, I think it'd be better if we opened this up in some kind of a structure where people could invest in a portfolio of properties because- then your risk is there's there's less there's less of a risk to that and also covid was a weird time where like some markets were doing really well like Scottsdale was on fire and then you also like there were some markets that weren't doing so well like San Francisco wasn't doing so well other bigger cities for obvious reasons for covid reasons so we launched our fund in uh in October of 2021 we had already had like a little under a year of like having properties and and kind of figuring that whole process I run everything in our operations side of the side of the world. So what happened was we launched a fund, friends and family. We raised eight million in two weeks, and then we were like, "Holy crap, we have to put this to work!" And it was me and him, and I had only designed and operated a few houses. I mean, less than ten, and we were going from that to I think today uh, we have around thirty million in 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 total capital that we've raised for our fund. But that is, yeah, that, that's that's how we started. Amazing. And if that doesn't speak to the incredible interest there is in this industry, I don't know what does to raise that, you know, oh, just $8 million in a few weeks. That is super cool. So I know we could probably take this conversation in a multitude of directions, but I want to really dive into the operational side of things because I know that that's an area that not only you're in charge of, but boy, oh boy, you've got such incredible experience. 
And I know for so many people who might be listening, they may have one, two, three, five, a handful of properties in their portfolio today, but they're interested in growing. So I want to ask you, first of all, when it comes to the design and furnishing of these properties, because I can tell you from personal experience, and you probably feel the exact same way, that's a, that's a huge task, right, to design and furnish a property. How did you do that at scale after only having a handful of properties that, that you had previously done it for? Yeah. So I think the, the short one word answer for that is chaos, um, <laughs> to put it, to put it lightly. It was, it was chaotic. I think, so I want to take a step back because I think what influenced how I built our company operationally came a lot from how we studied our homes, because I think there's like two different types of investors, Airbnb investors out there. There are people who kind of got into it by accident and they don't really know how they're going to make money. Um, they don't truly know what amenities to put in their home. They just think like mid-century art pieces, a couple accent walls, and that does it. And that does get you far. I mean, the, there's the, in some markets, the bar is very low. And then in some markets, there, there's so much uh, oversaturation that the bar is very high. Because we're a company and we're data-driven and, you know, all that, we focus on amenities first. So I think establishing like your absolute minimum requirements in a market. We're in 10 markets. We're, I think actually might be 12 now. We're in Florida. We're in Arizona. We're in upstate New York. We're in Pennsylvania. We were at one point in Joshua Tree. So we're a little everywhere. And all those markets have completely different requirements. I mean, you have coastal, you have desert, right? You have bachelor parties. So defining that first was huge. And then it's, and then it's really doing a lot of research to call around and figure out who on the ground is going to like really own that vision and carry it through. And I'm talking about like your tradespeople, right? Your painters, your hot tub in installer guys, the people uh, who do specialized work like murals or wallpaper. That Building that in each market was the hardest part, especially doing it remotely and also not being, at, in, I, I can't replicate my myself 12 times to be in 12 different cities at the same time. Although last year it felt like that because I was everywhere, but it, it was really, it's really to build a team. And I think you, you hear that now in a lot of books and podcasts related to Airbnb. It's like, who is your superpower team, right? Who are you calling? Who's going to do that work? So I think it was building that, that really made our whole portfolio come to life. Now, because it's labor dependent and because real estate investing is so dependent on construction work, it was hard to find leverage in those situations. And I think everyone in real estate feels that way. I'm gonna, I want the best, the cheapest, the fastest painter during COVID. I mean, especially like right when our fund kicked off, I mean, real estate was going crazy and it was hard to find good people. All the good people were taken working on other people's projects. So I think team is key. So let's pause there. I want to ask you a little bit about that. From your perspective, how did you know whether someone or was or was not going to be a good fit for your team? What types of questions did you ask them or what types of process did you put in place so that you could really vet your team members? 
So there's a, there's like two different types of people. Actually, there's a lot of different types of people in construction, but I always ask people, have you worked on rental properties? Have you worked on Airbnbs? You would be surprised how many people have, especially like in vacation rental markets where a lot of people make their money that way. A lot of construction, a lot of people have, in trades, they make their money that way. Like you'd be surprised at how many different uh, wallpaper installers we have that only work on Airbnbs, on bathrooms and bedrooms and I think I think the key is to ask, like, hey, have you worked on an Airbnb property? I won't prioritize doing some things because I'm focusing on prioritizing like high generating ROI type work. And I think if you work with like a luxury construction person or someone who only focuses on that type of home, not only is it going to be really expensive, but they don't typically like to work with investors because we're penny pinching on things that matter for us. So I think it's asking those questions. Yeah. And beyond if they'd had experience working on a short-term rental property, was there anything else that you found to be helpful to build the right team members in the markets you were operating in? Well, that's the first question I asked. There are many more. For sure, like reviews, references, um, asking for like, okay, if you've worked on Airbnbs, I'd love to see the last couple of listings that you've worked on. Or tell me about the types of work that you do on Airbnbs. There are people who do a lot of maintenance work, a lot of plumbing, a lot of fixes, a lot of handyman work on things like that. And they, they serve as the maintenance call for like the co-hosts on Airbnb. And then there are people who are like, oh no, we do cowboy tub installations, right? Those are, those, that's hard to find. Or our homes are very specialized. So we do indoor swings. We're doing like an indoor slide in, in a home in Oklahoma. We paint our cabinets hot pink and it's, it's a Barbie themed house. So we do some really specialized fun stuff and it's hard to find those people to do that. So you have to ask the right questions. You have to make sure that people have done similar projects to what you've you're looking to do. I mean, I can't tell you how many times someone's like, yeah, I've done a mural and then it's not a mural at all. And then you're like, oh God, I wasted time or this wasn't what I, what I need it to be. And those are things, I mean, these are all things that generate clickbait for your pictures on Airbnb. And it, you see astronomical differences in revenue, really taking the time to vet these people, asking the right questions to make sure you're on the same page. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I have to ask you, where did the hot pink cabinet idea come from? <laughs> it's so funny. I actually, we just did a, uh, we just got casted to go on a CBS TV show called Station just for this house. Cause it got so many views on Airbnb. It started off as like a girl's fun weekend house and we wanted to do like a fun pink mural in it. And the, the cabinets were old. It was actually I don't know if anyone in your in your community has bought in Scottsdale, but it's a lot of like 50s style homes, 60s style homes where you had like the four by four tile that was like in hideous colors from that time. So it was like lime green tile and like brown cabinets and then like a lot of pink. And I was like, you know what? I think we just need to go big and just paint the cabinets pink. So we didn't have the budget to replace all that. We just get really creative. And then I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do a Barbie inspired home. That's what I'm going to do. And it's, it's been the, it's the home that we spent the least amount of money on and it gets the most views because it's just ridiculous. Like you walk in and you're like, I feel like I'm inside of like a bubblegum piece of bubblegum. <laughs> I love it. Is there a life-size Ken doll? That's what I want to know. 
No, but it's funny because uh, when we were filming the TV show, the uh, the host was like, can you make a Ken version of this? Like, can I, like, I want a blue version of this. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. That is so fun. Okay. So I want to also talk with you about buying furniture for all of these properties in all of these different markets. How did you manage that process? Yeah. So that's changed a lot. So we also launched an Airbnb company during like the worst supply chain, like in the last decade with furniture. So we were really Wayfair heavy and we had to be because Wayfair was like one of the only companies that just like delivered within 10 days. Our process for design, we have an internal designer. We have someone who like really drives that process and really, really thinks about all the little things. And then she goes and does all the shopping. We've also worked with a lot of vendors on the ground. Like we've we've worked with interior designers who that their main gig is to like stage homes for real estate or beautifully curate, curate like a million dollar home. But we, you know, we called as a part of our like core team, we called and we're like, hey, would you be open to getting paid by the hour or getting a flat fee? And like staging a home, knowing that you're going to have to put forks and knives and all those things away. So some of those people have, some of those vendors have furniture connections as well. A lot of interior designers have relationships with, with furniture companies. But during the supply chain drama, it was Wayfair and Amazon. And that actually wasn't such a bad idea because we really got to build our inventory of like highly reviewed items. And we like bought them on autopilot that way. Like what mattresses worked well. After you buy 10 of the same nightstand and the same 10 people complain about how horrible it was to put together, you're probably not going to buy that one again. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was a little bit of everything, but we, we prioritized fast delivery. There's no way we could wait eight months for a couch. And we worked with what we had. The supply chain, at least for us, has been a little bit better. And we've been working with a lot of local vendors, actually. We find that it's easier to get a local vendor that's two miles from the house rather than losing, only having one nightstand, the other one gets stuck somewhere. And then you're like trying to figure out last minute where to find it. So. Absolutely. And I'm curious from your perspective, and I'm sure it varies because you have a broad range of different properties that you're staging and furnishing and launching, but do you have a favorite item that, that, you love to put in all of your properties? And if so, what is it? I love putting murals in that's or like wallpaper. I think it's so fun. We've done so many cool things with that. I also think another thing too, that I love that we, we didn't do in all of our homes until later on is sconces. Sconces are the lights that you install above the, above a nightstand. And I think it just adds this like feeling of hotel that people really like. And it just really brings the whole, and it does great in pictures. Like people always book homes that have matching sconces. So I like that. It makes you feel upscale. Yeah. Love that. All right. I want to shift and ask you a little bit about the operations side of things. Once a property is launched and is running, what things have you found to be helpful in being able to operate multiple properties at the same time? What systems and, and processes have made the biggest impact for you? We're, ever, we're vertically integrated. So everything we do is in-house. Our property management is in-house. Our operations is in-house. So all of it was a learning curve. We worked with 
every large property management company under the sun to then realize that it wasn't going to be a good fit for us. So we had to build all those systems internally. For example, figuring out that someone should just deal with complaints and then also giving a completely different person another, another thing to focus on, like maybe new inquiries was really big for us sectioning those things out because there's they're they're equally as important but someone who's dealing with complaints or ma- a maintenance issue or something that's not going right access to a property a safety thing whatever that is that needs that usually takes longer to respond to than an inquiry so we we learned a lot of little things that you wouldn't know until you're in it doing it yourself but we hired a lot of people for the for the sake of of keeping the quality of our business high. I think a lot of people getting into this, they, people make it seem very easy. People make, I, I love when people tell me Airbnb is passive. I'm like, what, what, which one? Because <laughs> even if you have a teepee or an igloo in the middle of nowhere, it's still not passive. But yeah, I think, I think the key for us is to be, to, was to hire the right people in place and to be as a detail attentive as possible. That's what Amen kept to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I always say when I'm adding folks to my team is the level of attention to detail is so astronomically important. And I think so many people miss that boat, right? They miss that when it comes to little things from how something looks in a photo, like you said, or just the angle of a photo or how the words that are used when responding to a guest. I mean, all of that is incredibly important to be having high quality across the board. And I love that you put quality first. I assume that's a core value that you and your your co-founder just instantly aligned on because a lot of people don't necessarily focus on quality first, but I love that. Yeah. And it's funny. I was, I stay, and now being an Airbnb owner, I'm like so critical of the ones that I stay in now. I was in Portugal over the summer and I was staying at an Airbnb there. Well, I was, I booked it. I hadn't stayed there yet. And in the reviews, everyone was talking about how there was five staircases. And if you had a heavy luggage, there's like no way you can get to the home. So I messaged the host. I was like, Hey, I already paid for this. What's the deal with the stairs? He never answered. Um, and because there was that like, ambi- there was like, it wasn't clear on like what I was going to deal with there. I canceled. And that's only because of what I re- read in the reviews, right? It's like that could have easily been solved with a picture or a description that I couldn't find. So he lost business. It's, it's little things like that where it's like an Airbnb already has that bad reputation of like, you don't know what you're getting into. Like, don't promote that. Try to clear that as much as possible. So that's what we try to do. And answer the questions you receive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I want to also ask you, what is the craziest, wildest, most chaotic story you could tell us about the last two years of your life and everything you've encountered? There are many. We've we've (laughs) had like squirrel infestation. Someone lost a parakeet in our house. I mean, we've had like the weirdest (laughs) stories. But I think the most bizarre one was we bought a house in Scottsdale that has a pool, but it didn't have a pool heater. And that's a big deal here. Big no-no. You don't buy houses here without pools and they need a heater. 
And uh, for any any anyone who's tr- thinking about buying in Scottsdale, don't even bother unless it has those two things, or unless you plan on spending the money to do it. The pool heater that we that we had was not hooked up to electrical; it was hooked up to a propane tank. And we didn't know that when you when a propane tank gets empty, it starts to smell. And the neighborhood, the entire neighborhood, started to smell like gas. So the guest didn't even complain. The guest took a nap, had no idea what was going on, but the neighborhood called a major safety. uh, They actually called Airbnb and they claimed that there was a major safety issue there, which if it was actually gas, that would have been really concerning. So it was nice that the neighborhood and the people there actually like were attentive to that. They called Airbnb. Airbnb called the the guest staying in the home and told them that it wasn't safe and they needed to leave immediately. But they didn't tell us that. So the guest was sleeping and the guest calls me thinking that this, that they're going to die because Airbnb called them and told them to evacuate. I'm lost because I'm like, why is the guest calling me, telling me that they need to leave immediately and they have no place to stay? The woman was like, I, I'm in my PJs. Like, where am I supposed to go? And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. So I freak out. I, I am like, I'm going to go to the house. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, should I go to the house? Is it safe for me to go to the house? Like, I have to think about that too, right? I call Airbnb and they were like, there's a gas leak. And I'm like, the property doesn't run on gas, right? It runs, like, I'm thinking to my head, I'm like, it must be a different house. I get there and they all recognize my car. So I have like a mob of neighbors who come out. Everyone's freaking out, like freaking out. Like, this is what happens when you let an Airbnb in a neighborhood. And then people were, were saying that they were planning on suing us because they felt dizzy. Like people started with the symptoms. They were like, we're feeling ill. And then someone's contractor came out and he was like, I've been feeling ill for like two days. Like there were multiple people saying they were feeling ill. In my head, I'm like, oh my God. Like, so I call the propane company and I'm like, we have an emergency and I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm trying to stay calm, but I'm also like inside. I'm like, this is a huge problem. And um, the propane company comes over and he pulls me aside and he's like, ma'am, this is a natural gas. Like no one's going to feel sick from this. And it smells because it's running low. You just forgot to, for, you just forgot to call to like fill it up. So everyone was furious and all their symptoms magically went away in that moment. They filled up the tank. And then we decided as a company that we are never using propane tanks to heat our pool. But that was I mean, I've just never had like a more angry mob come attack me with fake symptoms. And I also felt really bad for the guest. Like that poor woman had no idea what was going on. And it took us a while for us to get us, get her back in the house because Airbnb had to approve that like they weren't lying. That was, it's, that's a crazy story, but it's also a scary story. And I share that because you, that that could have happened to anyone. Someone forgot to fill the tank and it starts to smell if you don't fill it. Right. Yeah. And I think also the impact that the neighbors had on your own property, you know, what's the best way to say this without sounding bad? I appreciate all the things that Airbnb does to help provide a platform for us to have our our properties promoted. But sometimes I'm seeing that they are taking actions without finding out all of the information. And it really causes problems for us hosts when that occurs. So I'm glad that that there's your situation got resolved. But boy, oh boy, I'm sure for a while you were sweating bullets. 
Oh, I was. I was really worried. I was more so worried for like the safety. I didn't realize like it also shows you like like owning property. Like there's a lot of responsibility. There is. There's a lot of responsibility. Whatever plans I had that day, I don't even remember what I had. I just remember I canceled everything and went to the house. And it also makes you question your safety. Like you're owning real estate. Things happen. Air conditioners go out. Roofs leak. There's weather conditions. Like people forget that. And I think that's one thing that I like to like be really clear with people going in this journey. It's like just be realistic about what you're getting into. Because I think, and I'm sure people do this all the time. You see it online. Everyone makes it seem very easy. Airbnb is easy. You just throw a bed in and put it online. I think it's, I mean, it's fun. I love what I do. But uh, to, say, to say that I haven't been scared a couple times, you know, I'd be lying to you. Yeah. No. And has there been any ongoing backlash from the neighbors in that situation? No, only because we've made really good relationships with them. Like we do that on purpose. We we switch to an electrical heater and we have no, we have good rules in that house. That house isn't a party house. It's just a trend. People come and go, but no one really makes a lot of noise there. And, and that's, that's also another part of owning a quality company, right? You stay by your rules. You stay, you make sure that you stick to those things so that you build trust with the right people. Absolutely. Love that. Love that. Okay. So I want to move to the lightning rounds. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to just answer the next few questions with the very first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. <laughs> first question is, what is your favorite place to vacation? Favorite place to vacation, Spain. Ooh, I love that. I've never been, but I've heard it's pretty amazing. Beautiful beaches. Great and culture. I, I was going to say, I hear good wineries as well. Good wineries, good food. <laughs> okay. What's one place you've never been that you want to visit? Montana. Now that's an interesting answer. What makes you say that? I just want to, I, I, I heard it's like, like beautiful, the resources there, the mountains, the whole, I want to, I want to see it. I've heard good things and it's random. But I've been to a lot of places in the U.S. And that's like that part of the U.S. I haven't been to. Okay, cool. Now, what is one thing you know now that you wished you knew when you started out in short-term rentals? That labor is expensive, but you need it. It only takes you to build like two dressers for you to question your, your emotional, spiritual, physical in life. And I just, I just hire people now. <laughs> Amen, sister. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice, this is, it's funny because this has been an ongoing lesson for me all year where don't try to do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. I, if you're just starting Airbnb, I recommend doing every, I, I recommend you learn the whole thing. But if you're on your fourth, fifth, and you, you have other time commitments or other things, get other people to help you. Not only like do you double your time, but someone might be better at it than you. And it's just, it's, it's better for everyone to, to, to get the right people. So I'm big on team. I say that because I used to be someone who worked for myself, did everything for myself. And this company, this world, I mean, you with your, with the, your properties that you manage, you cannot do it by yourself. You just can't. You learn that the hard way at, at, the, at, a, at a time of crisis like the gas thing or like just not having the right people, a guest come, is checking in, you need someone to come in and help you. You always want to be staffed for help rather than be in a position where you're, you really regret it. So 
Absolutely. Love that. Okay. And what is one thing and or person that you're grateful for today? One thing or person that I'm I'm grateful for a lot. That's how I like to live my life. Always with the glass full. Super grateful for the people that help me every day. And also for for people open the people in my life that have been open to growth and growing and trying and knowing that our business is chaotic and everyone that's my entire honestly my entire team I would be very different without them I'd probably be thirty houses behind without them so <laughs> no I again I couldn't agree more we cannot operate this business on our own and if we didn't have fabulous people around us, we wouldn't be where we are. Totally. There's no doubt about it. Okay, cool. Sabrina, this is so fun. Like, I feel like I could talk to you for two more hours, but I want to just thank you for sharing this really cool company and really cool journey that you've been on. If folks want to get in touch with you or find out more about you, how, what is the best way for them to, to track you down online? So I am not everywhere on social yet. Probably the best way is LinkedIn. It's just the easiest way to find me. I'm pretty active on there. And then you can always check out our website, TechVestor, learn more. Yeah, those two, those two places. I love it. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Good to chat with you. Thank you. Okay, sister. Are you ready to start making your short-term rental dreams a reality, but feeling lost, stuck, or just overwhelmed? Here's what I know for sure. You deserve everything you're dreaming of, and you deserve to get it with ease, support, and joy. So here's what I'd like you to do. Go to stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar and watch my free masterclass where you will get the scoop on how to leave your W-2 and start building your dream life with five simple steps. If you're ready to have more time to spend with friends and family doing the things you love, adding a ton of zeros to your bank balance, and start living your short-term rental dream, you need to watch this masterclass. Head over to stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar right now to start watching. That's stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar, and I will see you there.